We'll be in Luke chapter 10 tonight. I was going to tell you, I know a lot of y'all don't know uh, Preacher Bill back there, but I want to say uh, he's the greatest Christian. He, to, to me and my dad, he's Sammy Allen. I mean, there's, there's many times in our lives that he's been there in the hard times of life, and I tell you, I love Preach. I call him Preacher, and I, t- I tell you, I love him. He's the greatest Christian. I guarantee you, every morning he's on his face praying for me and for my daddy. In this church, our, pre- our preacher, he, he loves our preacher. But, uh, but uh, we're going to start reading in verse 30. It's a familiar passage of scripture. We'll just get right into it. It says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, say, said, A certain man went down to Jerusalem, to Jericho, and fell among the thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him. And he de- and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise the Levi, when he had saw, was in the place, he came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came there, and he was, he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he bound him with wounds, pouring in the oil and wine, and set him on his beast, and brought him to the end, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he had departed, he took two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest, when I come again, I will repay thee. This is a parable. We all know that, that our, that our Savior was telling. And just by way of introduction, I'm going to kind of give you the, the outline that the, that the Savior was laying here. Is this man is a picture of a lost man. And he's probably in a ditch and he's beat up. And, and uh, that's what the world will do to you. They'll strip you. They want to they wanna take your dignity. They want to take our children's purity. He wants to take our children's purity. He wants to, he wants to take our money. The, the world wants to tear us down as much as he can. And also, in, uh, the, the priests and the Levites, they represent the law. And they represent sacrifice, which won't save a billy goat. Uh, they won't save nothing. Your good works, if you're here tonight and you're lost... Your good works, you can sit on a church pew just like the man said this morning for the rest of your life. You can put as much money as you want to in the offering plate. It won't save you. But when we get down to verse 33, we get to the Samaritan. And he was the Savior was just telling a story really about himself. And, and uh, Warren Wearsby said that the Samaritan's the man that came... <laughs> He paid the bill and he promised to come again. I'm going to tell you the Savior, he won't leave you like he found you. I'm telling you the day that he found me, he didn't leave me the same way. I was at a church in Dalton, Georgia. He didn't leave me the same way he found me. And, he, and tonight, if you're here lost, if you allow him to come into your heart, he will not leave you the way he found you. And I'm going to tell you, you go on to the Savior. He poured oil in that man. The, the Samaritan poured oil in him. When you get saved, you pour the Holy Spirit in you. I'm going to tell you and you get on down, Warren Wearsby said the end is just a picture of the local church and thank God for the local church. I'm just glad to be a part of the local church. I don't want to sit at home and watch it on TV. I got no desire to listen to Joe Olstein or all these other preachers on TV. I got no desire for that. And then uh, he also said that the two pence, it represented the two ordinances of the church. 
baptism and communion. But I'm going to get into the message here tonight, and it's pretty simple thought on being a Christ-like soul winner. This Samaritan was a soul winner. He won this man. He, and the first thing that he done, he came. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to win souls tonight, you're going to have to come. You're going to have to go. You, if you're going to sit on your, if you're going to sit on your couch and eat Cheetos for the rest of your life, you're never going to win anybody for Christ. You got to get up and go. I tell you, there's a lot of times in my life that I get the opportunity to pass out tracks. Me and my wife, when we go to dinner, we try to give a track out. I'll tell you, if you're going to give a track out at a, at a restaurant, don't be a, a carnal Christian and get mad because you didn't get all the french fries you thought you were supposed to get but, and you didn't get the ketchup on time. But, but leave a track when you go to a restaurant. Go. I mean, the, the Bible commands us to go. Not only did he go, he had compassion and he cared for them. I'll tell you, if you're going to win some people to Christ, you're going to have to love on them. I mean, there's some people that I work with in times that that, you, that, that they do things and I go, what are they doing? You know, what's wrong with them? But they're just acting lost. That's all they're doing. They're just acting like a sheep without a shepherd. They don't know any better. They don't know what they're doing. They're doing what they think is right. But not only did he come, he had compassion, but it cost him something. If you're going to win people to Christ, it's going to cost you. Not only your time, but it's going to cost some money. I tell you all the time, I tell people, if you'll come to church with me, I'll buy you dinner wherever you want to go after we leave. I said, I don't care. Because my money is not more important than souls. It's not more important. My money's not important. It's, it's souls. I'll tell you right now, I guarantee you, me and my wife, we'll live in a cardboard box and give up every single thing we got to make sure our daughter gets saved. My money is not more important than somebody's soul. I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now, my daddy will kill me when he find, when he when this is over with. But one of my daddy's favorite things to do is go over on Workman Road by the Honda shop and, and take people take stuff to those homeless folks. My dad takes wood over there in the wintertime. He takes blankets over there and nobody knows about it. He don't even tell me. But he uses that for an opportunity to witness to those people and love on them. If you're going to win somebody to Christ, it's going to cost you something. And I'm going to tell a little bitty story that's very important to me, and then I'll be done. In 1971, does anybody, does everybody know where the Rock Church was? But me and Brother Brian, we all went to went to uh, Bible college at. And then in the 70s, that was a striving church, from what I've been told. In 1971, the preacher that, that the best that I can get, his name was Brother Mackey. He got under conviction for a man that lived in a little two-room house right beside the shop right there in downtown Chickamauga. It's just a field now that church owns the property. Just right there off the train tracks, he got under conviction. He got under a burden for a man that lived there. He had, a man had ten kids. He'd go by and he'd witness to him, tell him, say, come on, will you come to church? And that man would say, no, no, I ain't coming. And, and all the time, that man would say in his mind, he'd say, boy, if I had a new pair of shoes. He thought that if you went to church, you had to have a new pair of shoes. <laughs> and all this time, he'd keep going back and trying to get him to come and trying to get him to come. And I don't know if it was the Holy Ghost or somebody told him, but if that man would come to church if he had a new pair of shoes. <laughs> One morning, <laughs> that man showed up on the porch and he had a new pair of shoes. And that man come to church, and that man's name is Fred 
Wilson Clarity. He was my grandfather. He was my grandfather. I'll tell you, just shortly after that, my aunt got saved. Not too long after that, that man sitting back there got saved. 20 years later, I got saved. I'll tell you, a pair of shoes changed a family. A candy cane changed your family for time and eternity. I'll tell you, it changed everything. And I'll tell you, if you can count all my family, my cousins, and my ministry going to the jail, my dad's ministry as a, as a young man going and, and going to and the, running the bus routes and things like that, there's no telling how many th- hundreds, maybe even thousands of people got saved off of a pair of shoes. Off of a pair of shoes. Could you imagine? I'd buy, I'd buy so many pairs of shoes, I'd run out of money if that's what it took to get people saved. Me and Daddy, we used to, I'll say this and then I'm done. Me and Daddy, we, he worked with a man named Henry Potter. He sang with the Happy Harmony Quartet and every Friday and Saturday night, me and Daddy, we would, we would go and listen to them sing and well, we, me and Daddy, we really enjoyed it. I mean, we was always going. Henry get us tickets, and they sung a song. And the Lord just hung it on my heart last night as I was studying. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you'll go. In Jesus' name. Jesus makes the difference. Amen. John chapter 10 tonight. John chapter 10 for a few moments. Bible says in verse number 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Father, we love you tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity you've given us to preach. And I pray that you'd help us for a few moments tonight, Lord, to preach with the power of God. And Lord, I pray that you'd hide us behind the cross. Clear my heart and clear my mind, I pray. Lord, help me to say only those things that you'd have me to say tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 10 is a chapter of declaration. Jesus declares in verse number 1, he begins this chapter with the words, Verily, verily. What he's trying to get the people that are listening to him to understand is that what he's about to say is extremely important. He wants them to listen. He wants them to hearken. He wants them to hear. Jesus makes some declarations about himself in John chapter 11. He declares himself, as we've just read, the shepherd God. He declares himself as the good shepherd. He declares himself this in verse number 11 and verse number 14. He declares himself the Savior God in John chapter 10 in verse number 9 when he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. He declares himself to be the Son of God in John 10. Jesus references the Heavenly Father 12 times. 
He says, the Father which sent me. I do those things which please my Father. The Bible says, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Not only does he declare himself the shepherd God, the Savior God, and the Son of God, he also declares himself the sovereign God. He wants you to understand that he is not only 100% man, but Jesus was also 100% God. There was nothing about him that took away his deity when he came to earth. He was all man and he was all God. He said in John 10 and verse number 30, I and my Father are one. But I'm interested today in this, uh, this first declaration that he made, the Lord's declaration declaring himself the shepherd God or the good shepherd. Jesus gives us a description of the honest shepherd in verses number 1 through verse number 5. We won't take the time to read it, but he explains to us what a good shepherd would do. He loves the sheep. He cares for the sheep. And the Bible says that he will lead the sheep. Then Jesus describes for us the hired shepherd in verses number 10, excuse me, verse number 8, verse number 10, and verse number 13, where the Bible says that, but he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. He describes to us what a shepherd that is only in it for the money does. And I'm thankful tonight that I don't have a shepherd that's in it for the money, but I have a holy shepherd. I have a shepherd that is not interested in what he can get out of me, but he is interested in what he can do for me and what he can do through me tonight. These verses bear witness of the testimony that Jesus is the good shepherd. I'd like to notice a few things that, that, that bear the testimony of our Lord tonight. The Bible says, I am the good shepherd. There's a testimony of the goodness of God. You see, our God is especially good. Our God is superior to all others. You see, there's philosophers and men of uh, professors, if you will, that argue over whether God is good because he does good things or whether God is good because he himself is good. I've got news for you tonight. God is good because he is good. And therefore, the things that God does are always good tonight. He is especially good to us. But God is also exclusively good. He said, I am the good shepherd. The is an article that is used to indicate that something or someone is the best known or most important person of that name or type. I'm thankful that I don't just have a good shepherd tonight. I'm thankful that I have the good shepherd tonight on my side. I don't have to worry about a man coming up short. I have a perfect holy father tonight that is watching over me and taking care of me tonight he's especially good he's exclusively good but I'm thankful tonight that he is eternally good the Bible says that the father my my father loveth me because I lay down my life that I might take it again no man taketh it from me but I lay it down of myself I have the power to lay it down and I have power to take it again this commandment have I received of my father you see when Jesus came to this earth the plan was always for Christ to rise he was never going to to stay dead. He was never going to stay in the grave tonight. He was always going to get up out of that grave. He was always going to rise again. I'm thankful that I have an eternal Savior tonight. There's a testimony of His goodness, but there's also a testimony of His guidance. You see the word shepherd used in verse number 11, it's a, it's a noun. 
The word shepherd is a noun describing who Jesus is. He is the good shepherd. But the word shepherd can also be used as a verb. It's not just who Jesus is, but it is what he does. He is our good shepherd and he shepherds us. He takes care of us. In verse number 27, you'll find that Jesus describes his care for the sheep. Let's read that. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man, thank God, pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Tonight I'm thankful for the guidance of my Savior. I'm thankful that he knows me. I'm thankful that he leads me. I'm thankful that he gave, has given me eternal life. And I'm thankful tonight that he keeps me along this journey. I'm thankful tonight that I've never had to take one step of my Christian life alone. I've never had to travel a mile for the Lord by myself. He has always been by my side. And when he's not by my side, he's leading me. And when he's not leading me, he's coming behind me. And when he's not coming behind me, he's is carrying me through some trial that I cannot walk alone. I'm thankful for the guidance of my shepherd tonight. But finally, this is what I really want to focus on tonight. There's a testimony of his goodness. There's a testimony of his guidance. But there's also a testimony of his grace. The Bible says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. John in chapter 10 and verse 15, it says... As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. In ancient empires of old and wars of days gone by, great warriors would arise out of such places as Rome and Greece and Persia. Ancient men whose deeds sound more myth and legend than truth. Nevertheless, these men fought with a reckless abandon, not fearing death, but welcoming death. For their ambition, their life's goal, what they lived for, what they trained for, their entire existence they invested into dying on the battlefield. They were searching for somebody to give them what they called a glorious death. Their desire was that their, the way that they lived and the way that they fought and the way that they died would be written in a history book and their children and their children's children and their children's children on down the, 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 the channels of time, their name would never be forgotten. What is to be said for a man who dies for such a cause? We would have to say that he died for glory. What could be said of a man that lives his life not for fame or fortune, not to be remembered, not to be recognized, not to gain money, not to gain popularity or position, but for simplicity. He lives to love his family. He lives to love his country and to love the freedom that he has been given. He lives for honorable and noble things. Then that man is called upon to serve and protect those things that he loves. He is called upon to serve and to defend the family that he loves. To defend the country that he loves. To defend the freedom that he loves. All of these good causes, what could be said for a man that would die for such a cause? we would have to say that that man died for good he died for a good cause but what could you say about a man that dies for his enemies 
What could you say about a man that dies for people that do not love him tonight? What could be said for a man that the Bible says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in due time Christ died for the ungodly what kind of man would reach down his hand and do this for me and do this for you unworthy to live I was I wasn't even fit to kill but the man on the cross put me in his will tonight so that I could still go free what could be said about a man that dies for the worthless what could be said about a man that dies for the vile and the wicked and the unlovable and the unwanted the Bible says surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God but but he was wounded for our transgression he was bruised for our iniquity the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed what could you say about a man that dies for such a cause we'd have to say that he died for grace. He died to give grace. He died to give us life. He died that we might be saved and that we might be free tonight. I say bless the Lord, oh my soul. I say thank God for his marvelous grace. The songwriter said it right when he said grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. If you'll turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 34, while you're turning there, some of you sitting here tonight might be bow hunters or or deer hunters of what I am not a hunter. If I'm hunting, I'm hunting in your freezer for food. (laughs) But they say that the bow hunter, they'll they'll sight that target and they'll They'll pull their bow back, and they're looking for that one specific spot, that little sweet spot that's possibly right behind the shoulder. That way it's a, possibly a lung and a, and a heart shot that drops the, that drops the target there. They'll, they'll pull that bow back. They'll have that sight right there, that kill zone. They'll take a breath, and with a uh, precision uh, tactical shot, they'll drop their target just like that. But tonight, I want us to think about the same tactical precision that may make a generational impact in our churches. I want us to think about hitting that mark. The question on the table is not, will I leave a mark? You will leave a mark. There's no doubt about that. But the question should be, is the, is, uh, the, will I hit the mark for the generation impact that's coming? Will that be right on the target?
Psalms 127 and verse 3 says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Looking around, I can see we're fortunate in this church to, to have a, a lot of arrows in our, in our church. A lot of folks still have arrows in their quivers. Looking around, I can also see that some of you have released your arrows and they've, they've, they've moved on. But some of us are sitting here and we have our arrow notched. It's ready to be fired. But I want to make this statement here. A man's greatest opportunity to hit the mark is found in his influence in the next generation. A man's greatest opportunity to hit the mark is found in his influence on the next generation. Every one of our children are going to make a decision in life, and that's just part of it. They're going to make their own decisions. But there's a biblical pattern. It's actually, hate to use this word mandate, but there's a biblical mandate that it's our, it's one generation's responsibility to look after the next, to promote the next. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me, many among witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Four generations there. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men that will teach others. One commentator said, Each local church is but one generation short of extinction. Unless we teach and train new leaders, we jeopardize the futures of our homes, our churches, and our nation. We are one generation from being gone, folks. In Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 5, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. Moses is the man that led Israel for 40 years through the desert, through the Red Sea, through enemy territory, through the storms and through the valleys and the mountains in times of great discouragement and times of great celebration. But Moses is dead. I was not alive when JFK died. But I was alive in 2004 when Ronald Reagan died. I didn't know him and he sure didn't know me. But there, I had a great deal of respect for Ronald Reagan. He was just a man, and uh, by no means a perfect man. He wasn't even our leader when he died. He'd been out of office for 15 years when he died. But he led our nation for eight years. In my mind, he was a great leader. For 21 hours, uh, uh, he laid there in, in state, and 5,000 people per hour passed by his casket while he laid there. It was the largest funeral in the United States history since JFK's funeral. Now you can imagine the sense of personal and national secure, uh, uh, anxiety that must have gripped the nation of Israel when their leader had died. Not just eight years, but he led them for 40 years and now he's dead. Not a man in the White House, but a man who spoke to God face to face. man that walked with God. Deuteronomy chapter 34 is where we're at, our verse. It's a very, very important verse. It represents a uh, historical significance. It's a changing of the guard. It's the handing off of the mantle of leadership. 
Verse 34, 9. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and he did as the Lord commanded Moses. This is a handing off of leadership. is not a bygone reality of uh, only the Old Testament times. But with every passing year that we have, uh, the giants of our faith, the leaders of our church, they're, they're passing off the scene. They're passing the mantle down to the next generation. We of this church, have a, we owe a huge debt to men like, like Brother Sammy Allen and Brother Stenet Ballou and Brother Berman Cape. Many, many others too that stood behind this pulpit. Men who refused to be moved from the truthfulness and the inerrancy of the Bible. Moses told Joshua, he said, these aren't just idle words. This is your life. I wonder if there's a generation coming up behind us who uh, they don't appreciate the fight. They don't, appre- they, uh, they don't care what the outcome may be. But David wrote in Psalms 144 and verse 1, said, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my, teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. My goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield in whom I trust. Nowadays we got folks, they don't care what the Bible says. They don't care about the Bible truths or the gospel. Where are the men that, uh, that, where are the men that have the seriousness of what the Bible and proclaiming what it has to say. Where are they? Who are they going to be? James 4.14 says, Whereas you know not what the tomorrow shall be. Um, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanish away. Don't talk about what you got for tomorrow, what your life is here today. Your life is just a little mist. You can spray it. There it is. Do you see it? Yeah, I can see it. Now it's gone. That's your life, folks. Life. It's here. Now it's gone. That's the men like Charles Roach. The men like Tom Barnes. They're gone. Many sit here in the past. They're gone. They're no longer with us. A life is but a vapor, and it's gone. Passing the mantle of leadership is inevitable. It's not just some Old Testament uh, experience. We're talking about the fact that if the Lord tarries and he doesn't come soon, this generation will be gone, then the next generation will be sliding over into the driver's seat. Numbers 27 and 12, God tells Moses, I'm going to give you the opportunity to see the land, but you're not going in. I'm going to let you see it, but because you disobeyed, you don't get to go. But in verse 16, Moses asked God, he says, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, which may go in before them, which may lead them out, which may bring them in, and that the congregation of the Lord be not as a sheep that has no shepherd. Moses knew his day was coming. He knew he was fixing to pass off the scene. And his only concern was give them a man to lead them. Passing the, man of, uh, the mantle of leadership is an immeasurable uh, importance. That was the, the final plea of Moses. I'm not trying to put our pastor in the ground. Don't think that. Moses knew that uh, before anybody could lead the nation, that they had to be able to go in before God and, and get a hold of God, and then bring them in to, to get a hold of God. 
But the thing is, a lot of us don't understand that before we can lead, we've got to learn to follow. Before we can make disciples, we need to learn to what it means to be a disciple. Exodus 33 and 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh to his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. If you'll get a hold of that, Moses left, but the young man stayed in the tent. The young man knew where God was at. How did he know where God was at? Because he got under the wing of an older man, knew where to get a hold of God, knew how to get a hold of God, and stayed where God was. Joshua was in the tent because he learned from, uh, from the value of seeking God. Joshua, uh, Joshua knew the only reason Moses was able to lead was because he knew how to get a hold of God. You can think about the baby boomer generation. Then you got my generation. The generation after that. Who ca- who, who's going to follow? Are, we, are they going to follow after us if we don't care about souls? We need to care about what's going on. I've got to be careful and I'm out of time. You're in a tent. Is this your generation? You're in a tent. Joshua was in a tent with Moses. My son is in a tent with me. I lose my anger. I lose my temper. That's what he sees. I need to see, he needs to see me getting a hold of the throne of God. He needs to see me showing how to get a hold of God. That's how I need to lead my family. That's how you need to lead your family. That's how we need to lead the next generation. We can't just be saying, well, I'm going to care about my business. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We need to learn how to get a hold of God and take it to the next generation. Psalm 122, Psalm 122. I'm sure I've enjoyed myself today, and I know you have too as well. It's just been a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, every single message has been right on, right on line, right on spot. And uh, only the Lord can weave that together. Only He can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But, uh, Psalm 122, uh, I want to just say this real quickly. It's amazing that how that you can just read and just devotional reading and different things. Uh, well, you can read through something, and you've read through it time and time again. But I just love how the Holy Spirit of God can just say, hey, back up for a moment. Read that again. Cast your eyes on that one more time. And and, and it's amazing how also that the Lord will, once you see something, how that uh, a saint of God will stand up and kind of confirm something or another man of God will preach or whatever it is. And I I appreciate the Lord doing that. Only He can do that. So Psalm 122, let's look there very quickly. It says, I was glad, not mad, not sad, but I was glad... When they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's go to verse 9. I'm going to stick just for sake of time. Let's go to verse 9. It says, because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek thy good. Now, what I'm interested in is this. As I got to studying around with this and looking at this, these verses, the, uh, this psalm, I looked at that word glad and I was interested about what the definition of that word glad is. Very common word. We use it often. You see it in the Word of God often. We hear it in our songs and we may even use it in our language. Uh, But glad means affected with pleasure. 
Notice that word affected, affected with pleasure. It means also this, it means pleased, affected with joy, affected with pleasure, and pleased. If you go down to verse 9, it says, Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. What I want to preach on is this, is how has the church affected you? Where are you at because of the house of God? I tell you, Brother Jeremy, you, you started off the service this morning, brother, by standing up and saying, I don't know where my family would be without the house of God. Can I echo what you said and say this? I don't know where we would be tonight without the house of God. Without the, without the congregation of the born-again believers. Brother Jeff, without this congregation in particular, I don't know where we would be. Uh, think about this. Uh, all the things that affect our life, any, all kinds of things affect us. What we put into our body affects us. The, the people we're around, they affect us. Uh, there's many, many different things that we could go on and on and on about and, and, and saying that affect us, but nothing... I'll dare to say nothing has affected you and me like the church. Nothing. Thank God for His church. Just want to say a few thoughts about the church, and then we'll look at, and we'll just kind of explore together some things. And I think you can say a big amen to to what I'm saying, not because I'm saying it, because it's in the Word of God. Let's look at this. As Christ's church, we are in in the Scripture described this way: one wife with one husband. One set of branches connected to one vine. One flock with one shepherd. One family with one father. One building with one foundation. But the most unique thing and uniquely described in the New Testament, the body of Christ is one body with one life source and head. So we see there, we're, we are a, a fellowship. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm trying to jump to where I really want to be, I guess. But let's look at this. So what, is, what are some things that I learned and you learned and we got acquainted with and ways that we are affected by the house of God? The first thing is this, is that I was introduced to the Father through the house of God. I was introduced to the Father. And I'm so thankful that I can call him my Heavenly Father tonight. I can call him my Abba Father, my Papa Papa. I tell you, it means so much to me. I don't know that there's a doctrine in all of God's Word that means more to me as an individual as to know that I have a Heavenly Father that cares for me and loves me no matter what. And it's an unconditional love, by the way. For me and you, it's awful hard because oftentimes maybe you had a bad relationship with your father. Maybe you even do even, even tonight as we speak. It's hard for us to to relate to the type of relationship that a child of God has toward their Heavenly Father. Again, I'm so thankful. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, to think that He calls me His child. What a blessing it is, Brother Noah. I'm so thankful. I thank God for all the benefits of being a child of God. There's intimacy there. There's an intimacy that is that goes beyond any worldly thoughts or that I could even think, Brother Sam, of, of the type of intimacy that I can have with my Father. I think of the intimacy back in the Garden of Gethsemane when, when Jesus Christ prayed, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. That was an intimate time for him. And he was calling when he said, when he said, Father, he said, Papa, Papa. And that's how me and you can talk to him. We have a personal father. A personal father. He'll be there. There's intimacy. There's identity. I'm glad to be able to identify with him, aren't you? 
There's identity. There's generosity to think about what all that God has given us. So much generosity. He gives and he gives and gives. Over the book of Matthew, it just basically talks about, it. In, in, especially I think it's around Matthew chapter 7, right in that area. It talks about, Brother Charles, how that if an earthly father will do everything, this is a Jason Gilreath version, how that, how that an earthly father, he'll do everything he can to meet the need of his children. Amen. How much the more will our Heavenly Father meet our every need? There's never been one time, Brother Laddie, that I've done without. He's met, he's met every single need that I've ever had to the greatest need of salvation, to, to even things that may seem minor to you and me. But how much the more? I mean, I'm telling you, he, he meets, he's just, can I just say it this way? He's good to his children. He's so good to his children. He's ultimately good to his, he's profoundly good to his children. And I'm so thankful for that. There's intimacy, there's identity, there's generosity, there's security, there's destiny as well. I need to back up to that one, security, that's another one I love. I'm so thankful that I'm secure in him. I'm in Christ Jesus, I'm blooded in. No man can pluck me out of his hands and I sure ain't gonna jump. I had a fellow one time, we were talking about eternal security, and he said, well, what if you want to jump out of his hands? And I'm like, why would you want to? <laughs> why would you want to? You got it pretty good in his hands. Why would you want to? I'm glad that I'm sealed until the day of redemption. I'm glad, Pastor, you said it this morning. I'm glad that I'm kept. I'm kept. Never to be lost. What a blessing. What a blessing for eternal security. But not only that, let's focus really on this one uh, tonight, just very quickly. And at times... Somebody put a double battery in that thing. That's going fast tonight. But anyway, not only was I affected by, again, being introduced to the Father, but also this, I entered into a very, very special fellowship. The word has been mentioned several times today, fellowship. Brother Bobby preached out of the book of 1 John on fellowship, and we've heard it so many times, fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. And, you know, we, we have an idea, okay, fellowship is what goes on in the fellowship hall. It's, it's the breaking of bread, and, all, and, and in some instances, that's it. But it's so much more than that, so much more than that. Fellowship, I tell you folks, we cannot, what, is it, what does it mean? I heard a preacher say this one time, he said it's two fellows in one ship. Going in the, in the same direction, and that's a very simple uh, definition, and it stuck with me. That's my mind. It's the way it works. But anyway, also, uh, this thing of fellowship, it, it is this. It's, it's a common shared life, a community of people who are committed to one another. It speaks of unity, Psalm, 131, Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You don't have a church that does what Bible Baptist Church has done by the grace of God, having two pastors for 61 years. You don't have that and not have unity and not have the, the, the type of fellowship that goes more than just surface. It goes deep. There's a commonality there. There's a community there. You can't have real fellowship without having something in common. And here's some things that we've got in common. We have a common life. We're born of the Spirit, born from above. We have a common Lord. That is Jesus Christ himself. We have a common love. He loved us and we love him. Then we go out and we love one another. And by the way, we don't just stop at loving one another. We love, we love those that are unborn, are unborn again, those ones that have not been saved. We love them. It's just like this, Brother Brian, the Jesus in me falls in love with the Jesus in you, and it just, it's, that's the way that it works. 
It's because, do you think I would hang out with some of y'all folks if, if Jesus didn't live in me? Do you think we could hang out with a Yankee, with a carpetbagger, if Jesus didn't live in us? I'm telling you, the type of fellowship that we have here, listen, don't overlook it, it's special. What a special fellowship that we have. I'm telling you, folks, I know it's been said time and time again, and it cannot be said enough, we can lose this fellowship so quickly. There are hindrances to fellowship, and be so careful that you don't allow yourself to be hindered with this thing of fellowship. One of the, one of the things that has, has literally has, has robbed us of fellowship, can I just go ahead and say it this way, it is the cell phones. Say, preacher, are you serious? You're going to bring that up? No, it is. Truly, think about it for a moment. What takes you away from fellowship? A lot of times it's that screen that you put in front of you. I better, I got to have to move on from that one, but let us move on. Uh, Again, it's there somewhere in the scripture. You can, (laughs) but fellowship, fellowship. Again, there's no such thing as a long ranger Christian. It's about community. It's about relationship. That's the thing. And by the way, if you, if you have listened to the lies of Satan tonight and let him tell you that you're alone, that nobody knows what you're going through, that nobody uh, has any idea. First of all, uh, the Bible tells us that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. He knows what you're going through. He knows everything there is about you. So don't let Satan tell you that nobody cares. Jesus cares. Say, well, preacher, uh, he, you know, he's way up. He's, he's, I, he's not touchable to me. There's, there's more problems than I can deal with tonight if that's the case with you. But let me just say this. There are brethren, there are people around you that love you and care about you tonight. That love you. Don't ever let anybody tell you that they don't. I think about this, uh, there's several other things, but let me move on. I, I, I must move on. Not only did I learn about a fellowship introduced to the Father as well, yes. Brother Chris made mention of it too. He, he talked about the fight. Folks, there is a fight. Yes, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. There is a fight. We, whenever you get saved, whenever you get born again, you get enlisted into the fight. It's not, this thing is not just all roses. It's not a bed of roses. You're enlisted into the army. And by the way, there is no place for AWOLs. To go AWOL, I'll say it that way. There's no double, 007 Christians either. We're, all, we're, we're, we're supposed to be out there. But this thing is fellowship. Let me move on. I feel like I've just totally left my text and I, I, I don't want to use it as a pretext and just move on from it. But I do want to say this. Again, how are we affected? It, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Lastly, I could go through so many more, but lastly, I want to look at this, not only fellowship, but also this. I think about this very very quickly. If you would go to John chapter 4. I haven't had you turn to any other scripture, but go there with me. John chapter 4. The Gospel of John. John chapter 4. And we'll start out reading in verse 31. We could mention the fun that we have as born-again believers in fellowship. That's something that I've got acquainted with. That's something that we have, we've been affected by is just the fun that we're allowed to have. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. You know what's interesting about Bible Baptist Church, and I appreciate this, and I'll get into this point and end here in just a moment. I appreciate the fun that we do, we, we do have here. But I also appreciate this. I appreciate that we know when to be serious, and we know when to, we know when to cut it off. We can have a big time. We can have fun. We can cut up with one another. I, I really do believe that the Bible Baptist love language is sarcasm. I really do believe that. I think it is. 
but it's, but it's a special sweet kind of sarcasm. We, we actually do love one another when we... Uh, if, if you're not being sarcastic, we kind of wonder about you. But anyway, with that being said, all that is great. The Father, it's wonderful. I'm glad I got acquainted with the Father. I'm glad I got introduced to Him. I'm glad that, you know, I understand that there's a warfare, that there is a fight. I'm, I'm glad that we, we get to have that special kind of fellowship that we, we've got to just, listen, please don't take for granted that fellowship. Let me just say it one more time. But let me just say this. Let's rein it in. What is the reason for all those things? What's the reason behind why God wants us to fellowship with one another, wants us to get acquainted with the Father, wants us to have fun, wants us to all those things, get acquainted with faith and all that? What's the reason behind it all? Look what it says here in John chapter 4, verse 31. And this is, of course, after the Samaritan woman. She has done left her water pot. She's not ever to come, never to come back to it in verse 28. And it goes on in verse 31. It says, in the meanwhile... His disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Amen. What does that tell us? Tells us? It tells us there's a field out there. Fields out there. There's a lost and dying world. All around us, outside of the doors of this church, there's a lost and dying world. There's lost individuals that you work with, that you go to the grocery store with, that you drive through the drive-through line and you speak with them, you talk with them. We rub, we rub elbows with people that are dying and going to a devil's hell every single day. Yes. Don't let a divine opportunity to, to share the gospel, to share the good graces of God, that good shepherd, don't let, don't let any opportunity slide by you. I can't tell you how many times. And, and, and why is this? That, that you fight God. It's almost, as if you, it's almost as if He says, Hey, I want you to do that. The Holy Spirit of God says, Hey, I want you to do that. And for some reason, you give all those excuses. Well, I can't do that. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not bold enough to speak like that. Or I, or I would have to do this or that. How many times have I had to turn around the car and turn around and find somebody? And a lot of times the timing is off, Brother Daniel, whenever I turn around and go back to try to find them. There was, a, there was an open window of opportunity but that, we, that we just kind of push aside. Let me say this to you. Lord, help us to enjoy sweet fellowship, but then remember that the enjoyment is only to build up our strength and reserves to go out and to tell the world about a Savior that loves them and wants them to be his children. We can love the fellowship. I love playing ball. I love all the sports. I love the fellowship. I love the food. I love all that stuff. I love just speaking and talking to each and every one of you. But it's just so that we can build up our reserves. It's as if there's fuel tanks in here and we come in, Brother Noah, and we hook up to them. And by the way, one point that I started to add into that is that we get fed here. 
We get fed. And by the way, it's not a microwave meal. It's not just a microwave sermon that's popped in. It's something that comes from the Word of God and not just a man's opinion. And we can thank God for a man of God that will give us some meat from God's Word. Sunday school teachers that give us meat. People that stand up and testify. It's meat. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's such a blessing. I'm going to read this and I'm done. My house is full and my fields are empty. There is peace and contentment in my father's house today. Lots of food on his table and no one turned away. There is singing and laughter as the hours pass by, but a hush calms the singing as the father sadly cries. My house is full, but my field is empty. Who will go and work work for me today? It seems my children all want to stay around my table, but no one wants to work in my fields. No one wants to work in my fields. Push away from the table, look out through the window pane. Just beyond the house of plenty lies a field of golden grain, and it's ripe, white unto harvest. Oh, but the reapers, where are they? They're in the house. Oh, can't the children hear the father sadly say, My house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? All the everything that we can, everything that we've been affected by, by the house of God, every bit of it. It's not, it's not this this Dead Sea religion that we see out there today. How many Dead Sea churches have I went in and out of, Pastor, that you've went in and out of, and no doubt others have went in and out of and say, Preacher, what in the world do you mean by that? I can remember Brother Stenet Ballou giving an illustration one time talking about a Dead Sea church when he was preaching on missions. Brother Daniel, the Dead Sea has all kinds of tributaries coming into it. Things bleeding into it, but nothing going out. Why do you think it's called dead, the Dead Sea? Church, don't ever, don't let us be dead. Let us always be reaching out. What a blessing, taking up that money today for that dear brother down in Louisiana. What a blessing. The folks, don't stop there. There's a lost world that needs to know what we got. And we need to present it to them. Present Jesus Christ to Him. He's the basis of everything anyway. You know what? It's all about Him. It really is. I bless you, church. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We certainly do thank you. As a dear brother comes and gets a song, sisters come to play the instruments. Lord, Father, I pray that you'll touch us and help us. We certainly do love you. We thank you. And we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Amen. Wasn't that good? That's good preaching, isn't it? And uh, I'll tell you what, I didn't come to preach, but I think I'm going to preach 10 minutes too. Amen. Brother Black wants me to so bad, so I'm going to read a verse of Scripture. And uh, Brother Jason got to preach. I didn't even bring in a message, but I tell you, he got to reading. Uh, he got to reading and preaching, and I looked across the page, and God just spoke to me and said, preach that. So, uh, you know, I'm as nervous as if I was preaching here for the first time. Wasn't that good preaching? There's not been a bad sermon today, and I pray to God this one's not one. Amen. So uh, Psalms 125, thank you, Brother Jason. Thank you, every preacher. We will preach this message in uh, 10 minutes or less and then give the invitation tonight. I appreciate the Word of God. Hadn't it been a good homecoming day? Amen. And I uh, appreciate that. Now, don't leave. If you, does, it'll co- if you do, it'll cost you $1,000, all right? And so Psalms 125 and verse number 1 said, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about His people from henceforth even forever. I want you to notice tonight in verse number 1 here, 
Uh, the Bible talks about a mount as Mount Zion. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion. Then in verse number 2, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem. Isn't it amazing that God emphasizes through the psalmist here in verse number 1, He emphasizes this mountain. In verse number 2, He emphasizes mountains, plural. In verse number 1, this mountain represents people. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion. And then in verse number 2, these mountains represent protections. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about His people. People in verse number one and protection in verse number two. You see whenever a Jew looked at the mountains that were around about Jerusalem, they didn't just see them as Mount Nemo, Nebo or, or, or Mount Moriah should I say, not Nebo uh, or, or Mount, uh, uh, whichever mountain, Mount Zion or Mount uh, uh, the Mount of Olives. They didn't just see them as those names but, but they looked beyond that and every mountain represented two things. Uh, it represented history from the past uh, and it represented promise or prophecy for the future. Amen. I want to tell you when a Jew looked at those mountains, they meant something. They had significance. Amen. Everything that God ever does, it has significance. Amen. And when I look at verse number one, I notice here the inspiration in this verse as he talks about the family. Notice he said, they that trust in the Lord. You ought to circle that first word, the word they. You say, why? Because that's not the word he's talking about. Uh, friend, he's talking about they that trust in the Lord. That's the family of God. I want to say tonight as a lot has been said about the church uh, uh, from the first message until the last one we just heard. A lot has been said about the church. Uh, this is homecoming Sunday. I don't ever know a time in my life when I've been more thankful for the church uh, and the family of God. Uh, you think about where you could be tonight. You think about where you ought to be at tonight. You think about had it not been for God, had it not been for grace, there's no telling where we would be at tonight. But I want to tell you, it sure does feel good on a Sunday night to be able to raise your hand and say, I'm a part of the family of God. Amen. And so he talks about the family. And then he talks about the faith. He said, they that trust in the Lord. Amen. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't always trust God like I want to. And I don't always trust God like I ought to. Proverbs chapter number 3 and verse 5 said trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. The psalmist said in Psalms 53 and verse number 6 he said what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. Amen. I want to tell you tonight I've not always trusted God like I should but I can raise my hand and say that I know what it is to trust him tonight. Every hope that I have, every dream that I have, I'm telling you my family listen, everything that I've got, I've got it in him tonight. Amen. My hope's not in this world. My hope's not in the economy. My hope is not in the government. But thank God I'm trusting in the one that cannot let you down. Amen. And I see here the faith and I see the family and then I see the firmness. The Bible said they that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion. In other words, when you put your trust in God, there's firmness in that. Amen. You know, when you look at Christians tonight that are firm, you know what they're firm in? They're not firm in their flesh because all flesh is the same tonight. 
My flesh is just like yours. And if I listen to my flesh, my flesh would say don't go to church. My flesh would say don't pray. My flesh would say don't read your Bible. My flesh would say don't give out that gospel track. My flesh would say there's no use in trusting God. My flesh says the same thing that everybody else's flesh says. Hey, my flesh wants to live wild. My flesh wants to live wicked. I'm talking about the flesh. It's not been delivered. It's not been eradicated. But I want to tell you tonight, those firm Christians, they're not walking in the flesh but they're living by faith amen you want to be a strong Christian tonight get in the word of God let the word of God dwell in you richly read your Bible every single day don't let one day go by that you don't read your Bible and let the word of God be in your soul memorize a scripture and you'll be a firm Christian amen how many of y'all thank God for Alexander Scorby at least I do isn't that right I'm reading through Chronicles right now. I've never loved Alexander any more in my life than I love him right now. As we read through the book of Chronicles, I, I couldn't say peanut butter in that book. But listen, I just read along with him. I'm telling you, get you some good ear pods. And I like to turn it up. You know, he reads a little bit slow. And so I turn it wide open where he reads, you know, at like a point five, you know. And he's reading so fast. But I'm telling you, you can cover some ground with old Alexander even in the Chronicles. Uh, first Chronicles uh, uh, you say preacher why do you tell me that because I want you to read your Bible every day uh, every day uh, if you don't get nothing out of my sermon tonight read your Bible every single day of your life uh, and you will be a firm Christian amen the firmness of it and then the faithfulness of it look what he said he said they uh, they that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion which cannot be removed but abideth forever. The faithfulness of it. He's not talking about the mountain. He's talking about they that trust in the Lord. I'm going to tell you tonight, I don't know where you're at, don't know what you're facing, don't know what you're going through. But if you want to be a faithful Christian, don't trust in yourself. Trust in the Lord. You may look across the aisle at somebody and say, how can they be so strong of a Christian? The inspiration is in faith tonight. And then there is the illustration in verse number 2. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about His people from henceforth even forever. You know, I think about Brother Thompson. You know, he went from one day not knowing what he was going to do to the next day. Uh, listen, uh, he may have the whole thing paid for <clears throat> before it's over with. I told him, I said, when this is over with, you ought to go shake the banker's hand and thank him for turning down the, lo the loan. Amen. He did you the best favor in the world. You realize that? Sometimes when things <clears throat> look so bad and <clears throat> we can't see God in the picture, but sometimes God allows things that disappoint us in life uh, because he has a better plan. He has a better way. Uh, he don't want us to struggle in it sometimes. I'm glad he don't just get us by. As the songwriter said, uh, he wants to see you through it. Amen. God is going to bring us to the other side. Uh, the Lord is round about his people. I don't know what's going to happen to America. I don't, wanna, I don't, know, I don't know what's going to happen to this world. Uh, but there's one thing I know tonight. Come hell or high water, sink or swim. Uh, uh, listen, it doesn't matter. Listen, if, uh, if hell falls out of the sky, there is a God in heaven tonight. Uh, he will take care of his children and he will see us through unto the the other side. Amen. Amen. Thank God when you think about a mountain tonight, a mountain is strong, isn't it? And a mountain is stable. It's not going anywhere. 
Hey, look out, mountain's not going anywhere until God, the God of that mountain, gets ready for it too. And then a mountain is seen. You can see a mountain, can't you? And I don't care growing up, all my life, those mountains were right there. And when I lived there, I never paid much attention to them. They were just always there in my life, standing in the same place. Strong anywhere you anywhere you drive around in in Chatsworth, you can see those same mountains. They're always there. Hey, that's the Lord. He's strong. He's stable. Hey, he's not going anywhere. And he's seen. You can see God in anything. You can see him in everything. If you're looking for it tonight, I want to say this in closing as they get us this song ready. I want my faith. To be stronger in God. I tell you, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to brag about when it comes to faith tonight. Other than just to say I need more of it. And the trials of life builds faith, doesn't it? The Word of God builds faith. You may have something in your life tonight that you need to trust God for. Just step out and trust Him with it. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to plan it out. You don't have to try to put all the pieces together and thank God. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can trust the Lord. They that trust the Lord shall be as Mount Zion. Has God ever gave you peace that passeth understanding? You ever been in a situation where you said, you know, I I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know how. God, I can't even see a way God's going to do this. But I was reading the other day. Has that ever happened to you? Or I was praying the other day. And God gave me a verse of Scripture and told me it was going to be all right. Told me he was going to make a way. Told me, somebody asked me not too long ago, said, haven't you started on that building yet? I said, no. I said, we're, we're headed there. They said, when are you going to do it? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I know we're, we're going to build it. Y'all still believe that? I, I, the architect called the other day, and he said, Brother Ricky, week after next, he said, I'll be meeting, I'll be coming down. I said, all right. He said, I'm sorry. I said, all in God's time. I don't know. I don't even know how much it's going to cost. But I know God's going to do it. Amen. How many of y'all believe God's going to do that? I believe Him tonight by faith. You know why? Because there's a need, number one. Number two, He can get the glory for it. We'll just all have to stand back and say, That was God. He did that. You know, this piece of property right down here where we're going to put this building, Lord willing. That when this property was not for sale, boy, you remember that, don't you? It was growed up so ugly. And finally, it got so growed up in the end, you couldn't even see the church from the road, hardly. And I went down there one day in that field. I remember a preacher, Brother Ronnie Simpson, preached revival. No, it wasn't Brother Simpson. I heard It was Brother Simpson, not here. I heard him preach it somewhere else. He talked about the God doing the impossible. And I thought about that property. I said, God, there ain't no way we're going to get that piece of property if you don't do something. Brother Simpson got to talking about him needing a piece of property at the church they was at. He said, you know what? He said, the, the person who owned it wouldn't, wouldn't sell it. And I thought, well, that's the same thing. He said, I went down there for, I don't remember how long it was, four, five, six months. He said, I just walked the whole perimeter of that property and asked God to give it to us. And God gave it to them. I thought if that would work for him, then maybe that would work for me. 
And I walked around that property. I'd just go down there and walk around that property and say, God, would you give us this property? The man that owned that property, he was out there one day burning trash. He'd just come down there and burn trash. And I saw him out there and I went down there. And I walked up and I was talking to him for a few minutes. And I said to him, I said, you wouldn't consider selling us this property, would you? I'd asked him before and he never, he'd, he'd turn us down. Brother Cape, I, may, I think Brother Cape for sure had asked Asked for the property as well. And I said, well, you wouldn't sell us the property, would you? And you know what he did? He pulled his shirt up. He said, you see, he had a scar running from right here under his throat all the way down to his leg. He said, you see that scar? He said, I just survived. I can't remember. It was colon cancer and a couple other cancer. He said, they took all that out of me. He said, you see that scar? He said, I just survived all that cancer. He said, I'll be dead before you get this property. I said, okay. I wasn't going to argue. I didn't want to make him mad. And I walked off. I said, God, would you give us that property? About six months later, God made a way for us to have that property. He passed away. And I'll never forget. I won't go into all the details. through it, But God let us get that property. I'm going to tell you, when it looks like there's no way, pray on God makes a way. I didn't pray God kill him. I want you to know that. I wouldn't do that. Amen. But I'm telling you, God can make a way when there's no way tonight as we stand. I don't know if you got a burden to need. You got something tonight? Just put it on the altar. God can. You can't, but I promise you, He can. He knows how. And nothing, nothing is impossible. Nothing is too hard for the Lord tonight. I'll tell you tonight, there's some things I, I need Him to do. I'm asking Him to do. I don't know when and I don't know how, but I know He will tonight. They that trust. It's really not hard to trust God. Our flesh makes it hard, but if you think about it, you don't really have anything else in life to trust or to lean on. And when you look at it like that, it's really not that hard. Just say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you to do this. Lord, help me with this. While we sing, if you need to come, come on tonight.